0: Section fourteen of Police. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Police by Robert W. Chambers. Section fourteen. One over. Part three. It was, to be accurate, Exactly twenty three days later, that our voyage by sea and land ended one Monday morning upon the gigantic terminal moraine of the Golden Glacier, Cook's Peninsula, Baffin Land. Four pack mules carried our luggage, four more bore our persons. An Arctic dickey bird sat on a boulder and said, vealy, wealy, wealy, tweet tweet. As we rode out to the boulder strewn edge of the moraine, the rising sun greeted us cordially illuminating below us the flat surface of the marsh which stretched away to the east and south as far as the eye could see. So flat was it that we immediately made out the silhouettes of two mules tethered below us a quarter of a mile away. Something about the attitude of these mules arrested our attention, and gazing upon them through our field-glasses, we beheld Professor Bottomley. That resourceful lady had mounted a pneumatic hammock upon the two mules, Their saddles had sockets to fit the legs of a galvanized iron tripod. No matter in which way the mules turned, sliding swivels on the hollow steel frames regulated the hammock slung between them. It was an infernal invention. There lay Jane Bottomley, asleep, her black hair drying over the hammock's edge, gilded to a peroxide luster by the rays of the rising sun. I gazed upon her with a sort of ferocious pity. Her professional days were numbered. I also had her number. How majestically she slumbers, whispered Dr. Delmore to me, dreaming, doubtless, of her approaching triumph. Dr. Foose and Professor Glossard, driving the pack mules ahead of them, were already riding out across the marsh. Daisy, I said, leaning from my saddle and taking one of her gloved hands into mine, the time has come for me to disillusion you. There are no mammoths in that mud down there. She looked at me in blue-eyed amazement. You are mistaken, she said. Professor Bottomley is celebrated for the absolute and painstaking accuracy of her deductions, and the boldness and the imagination of her scientific investigations. She is the most cautious scientist in America. She would never announce such a discovery to the newspapers unless she were perfectly certain of its truth. I was sorry for this young girl. I pressed her hand because I was sorry for her. After a few moments of deepest thought, I felt so sorry for her that I kissed her. "'You mustn't,' said Dr. Delmore, blushing. "'The things we mustn't do are so many that I can't always remember all of them.' "'Daisy,' I said, "'shall we pledge ourselves to each other for eternity, here in the presence of this immemorial glacier which moves a thousand inches a year— I mean an inch every thousand years?' here in these awful solitudes where incalculable calculations could not enlighten us concerning the number of cubic tons of mud in that marsh here in the presence of those innocent mules oh look exclaimed dr delmore lifting her flushed cheek from my shoulder there is a man in the hammock with professor bottomley i levelled my field-glasses incredulously good heavens there was a man there he was sitting on the edge of the hammock in a dejected attitude his booted legs dangling. And, as I gazed, I saw the arm of Professor Bottomley raised, as though groping instinctively for something in her slumber, saw her fingers close upon the blue flannel shirt of her companion, saw his timid, futile efforts to elude her, saw him inexorably hauled back and his head forcibly pillowed upon her ample chest. "'Daisy,' I faltered, "'what does yonder scene of presumable domesticity mean?' i-i haven't the faintest idea she stammered is that lady married or is this revelry i asked sternly she wasn't married when she sailed from n- n- new york faltered dr delmore we rode forward in pained silence spurring on until we caught up with lazard and foos and the pack-mules then we all pressed ahead a prey now to the deepest moral anxiety and agitation The splashing of our mule's feet on the partly melted surface of the mud aroused the man as we rode up, and he scrambled madly to get out of the hammock as soon as he saw us. A detaining feminine hand reached mechanically for his collar, groped aimlessly for a moment, and fell across the hammock's edge. Evidently its owner was too sleepy for effort. Meanwhile, the man who had floundered free from the hammock leaped overboard and came hopping stiffly over the slush towards us like a badly-winged snipe. "'Who are you?' I demanded, drawing bridle so suddenly that I found myself astride of my mule's ears. Sliding back into the saddle, I repeated the challenge haughtily, inwardly cursing my horsemanship. He stood balancing his lank six-feet-six of bony attitude for a few moments without replying. His large, gentle eyes of baby blue were fixed on me. "'Speak,' I said. "'The reputation of a lady is at stake. Who are you?' WE ASK BEFORE WE SHOOT YOU FOR PURPOSE OF FUTURE IDENTIFICATION. HE GAZED AT ME WILDLY. I DON'T KNOW WHO I BE, HE REPLIED. MY NAME WAS JAMES SCAR BEFORE THAT THERE LADY WENT AND CHANGED IT ON ME. SHE SAYS SHE HAS CHANGED MY NAME TO HERS. I DON'T KNOW. ALL I KNOW IS I'M MARRIED. MARRIED? ECHOED DR. DELMORE. HE LOOKED DULLY AT THE GIRL then fixed his large, mild eyes on me. A mission priest done it for her a month ago, when we was hiking towards Fort Carcachou. Who, uh, are you? he added. I informed him with dignity. He blinked at me, at the others, at the mules. Then he said, with infinite bitterness, You're a fine guy, ain't you? A wishin' this here lady onto a poor pelt hunter? what ain't never done nothing to you who did you say i wished on you i demanded bewildered that there lady a sleeping into the nuptial havoc you wished her on to me yeah, yes you did what in the hell have i done to you eh we were dumb he shoved his hand into his pocket produced a slug of twist slowly gnawed off a portion and buried the remains in his vast jaw all i done to you he said was to write you them letters saying as how i found a lot of elephants into the mud what you done to me was to send that there lady here was that gratitude man to man i ask you a loud snore from the hammock startled all of us james scaw twisted his neck turkey-like and looked warily at the hammock then turning towards me "Ah." he said she don't never wake up till i have breakfast ready james scaw i said tell me what has happened on my word of honour i don't know he regarded me with lacklustre eyes i was a settin on to a boulder says he a figuring out whether you was a comin or not when that there lady rides up with her lead mule trailin says she "'Are you James Gaw?' "'Yes, ma'am,' says I, kind of scared and puzzled. "'Where is them elephants?' says she, reaching down from her saddle and taking me by the shirt collar and beating me with her umbrella. "'Says I. "'I have wrote to a certain gent that I would show him them elephants for a price. "'Being strictly honest, I can't show them to no one else until I hear from him.' with that she continued to argue the case with her umbrella never lettin go of my shirt-collar sir so she argued until dinner-time and then she resumed the debate until i fell asleep the last i knowed she was still conversin and so it was the next day all day long and the next day i couldn't stand it no longer so i started for fort Cockerju. But she be an honourable mule run me down easy and kept beside me conversing bullable sir do you know what it means to listen to umbrella argument every day all day long from sun-up to nightfall and then some more i was loony i tell you when we met that mission priest marry me says she or i'll talk you to death i didn't realize what she was saying and what i answered but them words i uttered and the job it seems we camped there and slept for two days without waking when i waked up i was convalescent she was good to me she made soup and she wrapped blankets on me and she didn't talk no more until i was well enough to endure it and by and by she broke the news to me that we was married, and that she had went as far as to marry me in the sacred cause of science, because man and wife is one, and what I knowed about them elephants she now had a right to know. Sir, she put one over on me. So, being strictly honest, I had to show her where them elephants lay froze up under the marsh. End of section 14 Recording by Todd.